I'm talking about this. And I had an investor come up to me later and he said, young man, uh, I listened to what you had to say. And, you know, that all sounds fine. But uh, how are you going to build an ESP business against all the big boys that are out there? Big guys, big gals, right? Big companies, the slumberjays, the bakers. uh, How are you going to do that? And I said, well, sir, one well at a time. Oil and gas today is more than exploration and production. It is more than the feet drilled or the hours of continuous pumping. The oil field is a group of people, companies, technologies, and institutions working towards providing the world with safe, affordable energy that is sustainable for the billions of people that depend on the success of the industry. The Oil Field 360 podcast is a 360 degree deep dive into the leaders of the industry who will provide listeners with a firsthand account of what it takes to build, maintain, and lead the energy business into the future. The Oil Field 360 podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, one of the largest and most experienced energy investment banking firms in the industry offering M&A advisory, capital markets execution, and investment research. For more information, please visit SimmonsPSC.com. Lockton Global Energy and Marine, uncommonly different. Lockton is the world's largest privately owned insurance broker and risk finance advisor. Lockton's global energy expertise is centered in Houston and represents the largest concentration of energy specialists, clients, and experiential knowledge in the upstream, midstream, and downstream segments of the oil and gas industry. Visit LockedIn.com for more information. Tomahawk Safety, a leading manufacturer of safety gloves ergonomically designed for superior fit, offering best-in-class protection and helping you combat the industry's toughest jobs. Tomahawk is also supporting our frontline healthcare workers by offering isolation gowns, gloves, masks, and other critical medical PPE. For more information, please visit tomahawksafety.com. Range Valuation Services. Range is the only oil and gas focused valuation and appraisal firm in the financial services industry. Range specializes in appraising and valuing oil field equipment, machinery, inventory, and property, and customarily works directly with clients, lenders, investment bankers, insurers, and private equity and debt sponsors. For more information, please visit rangevaluationservices.com. Welcome to the Oilfield 360 podcast. We are coming live from the Fletcher Azul Tequila podcast studio in Houston, Texas. That is always a mouthful, and I am, I'm getting smiled at by my co-host extraordinaire, David DeRoad. Good morning, David. Good morning. How are you this morning? Well, I mean, it's this is our earliest podcast we've ever done. Is it really? It is. This is the earliest one we've no, ever done. It's, no, no. it's 9 a.m., right? Yeah, 9 a.m. Half the day is gone. Listen. This is, it's still, we're going to have to get our brains going. Wayne, can you believe this? Listen to this. (laughs) We've got, we've got just an awesome guest here coming up and we're going to introduce you in just a second, but uh, we are, yes, this is our earliest podcast we've ever done. One of our biggest guests we've ever had. So we need to be sharp. You feel sharp today? I do feel sharp. Oh man, I'm, you're going to carry the load here today. I'm excited about this. Well, yeah, that's like saying that I also think I'm, you know, good looking and you You listen, you are a very well-dressed man. (laughs) Is that the nicest backhand compliment I could give there? Yeah. So we have uh, a really great guest today, and this is a fun guest. I met this guy on a golf course 
10 years ago, probably. And I was very intimidated when I first met him and then quickly realized I was in for one of the better rounds of golf and most fun I've had. So this morning, 9 a.m., earliest guest we've ever had. Welcome, Wayne Richards. Good morning, Wayne. Thank you, Josh. Good morning. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Great to be Thanks here. Being here. So let me give you a quick introduction. And for those of you who want to know a little bit more about him, his resume is extensive and we were doing our pre-show warm up and there's, there's a lot to talk about. So we're just going to do, do a couple of current titles and roles that you're in. But again, there's a lot to talk about and we want to get into a lot of it today. You are currently the president and CEO of GR Energy Services. And you are the chairman of the board for distribution now. Correct. And then, like I said, there's a bunch more we can get into. And I want to, I want to go into that. One of those things being uh, Schlumberger, you had an extensive history with those guys for a long time. And, and from the early stories, it sounds like a great run with them. So we definitely want to get into that. Uh, have you ever done a podcast? So there's a couple of questions we ask our guests. And one of them is, have you ever done a podcast before? No, I haven't. So I can say that I'm a little nervous this morning, but being here with you two pros, uh, we'll make it all, uh, make it all work out. I'm sure. I've never seen Wayne nervous before. So he- Well, you mentioned your wife, Kathy. Yes. You've been married for 38 years. 38 That's years. Awesome. Wonderful. Wonderful lady. That is, I love hearing that kind of stuff. Now you were game prepping with her, right? Did she give you any hints about coming on the podcast? Uh, other than listen, which I get that quite often and, uh, don't talk too much. You well, know? That, that is the worst advice <laughs> ever for a podcast. I, I need you to talk a lot because if you don't, we're going to listen. Yeah. And, and, and if you don't Josh will. So, and that's know, just it. I, I actually like to hear myself talk and I tend to just keep going until someone starts talking. So you're, I need you to not listen to Kathy today talk a lot and, and we'll get going with you here. All right. Uh, David, you want to start David, by the way, you, you know, you're a big guest when David hands me two pages of notes, pre-show notes wow. that he's done for you. Wow. Yeah. You hear this people? This is David DeRoad prep work. That's right. So we always like to start this by one asking if you've been on a podcast, but uh, two, we like to give everybody a, a flavor for who you are and where you're from. So tell us a little bit about where you're from in uh, the great state of Virginia, West Virginia. Excuse me. Yeah, I grew up in uh, grew up in West Virginia. Uh, I actually lived in Texas longer than than growing up there. Wonderful childhood, outdoors activities, etc. And uh, went to West Virginia University. Got a degree in mining engineering, which is uh, kind of a, a rare thing these days. Worked underground while I was going to school. Ended up hiring on with Schlumberger and uh, spent twenty five years with with them. What a wonderful company. Got a chance to. Uh, to do things I never had an idea I'd have the opportunity to do and meet a bunch of great people, a lot of smart folks, and work for a uh, a service company that, that really understands what, what it's all about. So sure. that was a lot of fun. And then been out uh, kind of in the entrepreneurial world since. Um, I, I left Schlumberger and went to work for a company called Vetco, which uh, y'all remember Vetco, well heads, yeah. trees. Uh, and uh, that sold to General Electric uh, while I was uh, with Vetco, and then went out and started Global Oil Field Services, which was a, a downhole uh, electric submersible pump business focused on other means of artificial lift. Sold that to Halliburton, and then uh, formed GR Energy Services in 2013, and here we are today. Yeah, GR is a phenomenal company. It's all about the people. We we do uh, we have two different product lines. One, uh, completions, wireline completions, plug and perf mainly. And then we have a, uh, a water management uh, lift business on the side of that. So uh, really just executing uh, 
executing on those two businesses today. How did you get from uh, West Virginia with the mining over to Schlumberger? Were they recruiting for you or were you looking for them? Well, it was uh, 1981 and um, I had planned on uh, going to work in the mines. I had worked underground, uh, had a couple opportunities, but there was a strike going on then. Things were a little wild and woolly and Schlumberger was recruiting a lot of engineers with different disciplines all over the country. So Slumberjay came along, and uh, next thing I know, I was flying to Denver for an interview, and they said, well, you're going to uh, Midland, Texas. And I said, well, I've never been to Midland, Texas. So I went to Midland, Texas, a phenomenal place, wonderful place. And ended up doing two, three tours of duty through Midland, and um, the rest is kind of history. All right. But I think one of the most interesting things you mentioned earlier, which is your experience at Schlumberger. Most people, when they go to work for Schlumberger, Schlumberger sends them all over the world. But a lot of your experience was was largely here in in the U.S. You want to talk about some of the things you did while at Schlumberger, which is a very large, phenomenal company. But uh, yeah, I'm probably a bit of an oddity when it comes to Schlumberger. And it's not that uh, I remember one time Kathy and I had uh, pretty much gotten gotten rid of all our our uh, worldly belongings, which wasn't much at the time. And I was getting ready to be moved to Venezuela and uh, we were ready to go. And, you know, the pets were distributed out to other family members. And oh, uh, then all of a sudden that was postponed and I went to another job in the U.S. And then at one time, Later in my career, uh, I was asked to go to Saudi, and uh, that didn't work out for uh, another reason. Not on my side. It, was, it had to do with uh, some, some things going on in country. So I was a bit odd. I, I moved quite a bit. We moved eight times, eight or nine times here wow. in the U.S., and my girls all uh, from different areas. My oldest daughter, I have three daughters. Jennifer was born in Midland, Casey who, by the way, is going to have a baby here in uh, August. And I'm going to be, Kathy and I will be. First time grandparents were I'll be excited. sending you one of my baby chairs to give to her. All right, great. great. Uh, she was born in Monahans, Texas. Some of y'all may not know where Monahans is. We got very, very uh, good at riding cardboard down the Monahans sand hills uh, with the kids <laughs> in in a hundred degree weather. That was fun. And then my youngest Amy, who's uh, who's in New York now, she's a animator for one of the uh, major uh, studios. Um, she was born in Casper, Wyoming. So. The girls, oil-filled uh, kids, they're and they're very, very diverse. They, you know, they've moved multiple times, different schools, and you know, it's been been healthy for them. But I'm I'm very proud of all of them, and uh, they've done quite well, even with you know moving around and the uncertainty with that. But Slumberjay is a tremendous company. Uh, they give you all the opportunity you want if you're willing to reach out and take it, and and really promote the learning, the technology, and so from a basis of learning for me, it was tremendous. Uh, you know, open hole logging to case toll completions to flow patrol Johnson to getting a chance to manage the completions and lift business globally for, for Schlumberger. So it was a tremendous uh, career that I think without that backing, it would have been very tough, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a business person to really kind of put it all together. That's the exact description that Ben Fodishbaugh He's the uh, CEO of Evolution Well Services. He was also with Schlumberger. He said the exact same thing about it's as much opportunity as you want to take on. As you built companies post that your time there, have you focused on that kind of growth for your employees and your company? I mean, how, did, how do you look at growth for people that are working for you? 
Well, growth, uh, first of all, it, it, it's, a, it's a very basic philosophy with me, and that is um, you need to surround yourself with good people. And it's all about the people. And, you know, and I look at, uh, you know, my past and, and some of the success that myself and other teams have had, not only in Schlumberger, but now transcending into the, the private equity world and, and, and independent companies, private companies. It's all about the people. And I'm continually overwhelmed with uh, what we've put together at GR, for instance. Uh, we're a leader in the completion space by number of stages completed per year, per well, et cetera. Uh, we're a leader in uh, what I call the water management space with our uh, instrumented uh, mobile H pumps that provide a variety of uh, solutions to our customers out in the field. And, it, and it's all because of leadership. When you're in a service business, you, you have to focus on what matters. And yeah, technology is great. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, here in a little bit. But uh, technology is great. Uh, having something differentiated is great. But we've been able to have success in my last two companies with literally off-the-shelf type technologies. Now, we've taken that to a new level with GR. And we've done it via service. We've done it via service quality. We've done it with um, a passion for outworking and outperforming the competitors via level of service. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. Uh, that's the basis of what I grew up in. I'm not so sure I could, I could uh, be on the other side as such, not that anyone's wanted me there, but on the EMP side, I, I, I like the service side. And I'm passionate about it. Uh, we've developed a culture now in GR it's all about that. It's, it's all about how we can make a difference in an environment where maybe price is the only differential today. And I still believe that um, you can differentiate yourself by, by caring, by, by being there for the customer, not only in good times, but also when you have issues sure. and how you handle those issues. My team today just continually uh, amazes me with uh, what they do and how they do it. And that culture of of transparency, that culture of of adding value to the customers through just hard work. I know we have the pleasure of working together and known you for several years. One of the things that's impressed me that I would say some people are starting to catch on, but something I think y'all pay attention to are the leading indicators of performance in your business, which I think are critical. I like to sometimes liken it to forward-looking radar, but talk to us a little bit about that and why that's so important. Yeah, we manage our business through those leading indicators. I mean, if you look at safety performance is one, and, and, and I adhere to the, the safety triangle or pyramid, which means that, you know, the more issues you have at the base of the pyramid, no matter what the severity might be, if you don't get a hold of it and get a handle on it, those things will transcend to the possibility of a increased uh, higher risk issue, either hurting folks or, or heaven forbid, a fatality, whether it's out at the well site or driving to a well site, whatever it might be. So to be able to identify, for instance, risk identification, a lot of folks call it different things, RIRs or, you know, those leading indicators have proven to make a difference. If your folks are more aware of the risks that are around them and surround them, and they can identify that. And more importantly, if you can talk to your people about it in a proactive way, then I'm convinced you can eliminate the higher risk items that are out there. Now, it's a, it's a challenge every day. I mean, our sure. biggest risk out there today is driving. 
It's not at the well site. In the well site, there's a lot of activities going on that are high risk, but we're doing all we can to minimize people in the red zone in those areas where they could get hurt. But driving's a, a tough thing, so we reemphasize driving. Some could say that it's Big Brother watching, but we have driver monitors for our people that we actually use and say, look, mm -hmm. you know, you're driving too fast. You, you need to slow it down. You know, I and, think and, I, you, you call that Big Brother. That's Big Brother maybe 20 years ago, right? I'm assuming most of your you know, employees and partner team members today are very accustomed to just being, I don't want to say watched, that's not the right word, but being monitored. I mean, there's, they have to be aware that there's new technologies now that are designed for the safety of them and others. And they are, and, and there's been a cultural kind of change in our business. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I call it Big Brother because mm -hmm. when that first came out, everyone was like, oh my gosh, Big Brother, this They're is watching George me. Orwell, 1984, whatever. They're watching me. And I think if you, if you paint it in a different light, that we want you to come home safe to your families and your loved ones at night. And by the way, we want to utilize this as a tool to help you get better. I mean, we're all about what can we do to get better every day in, in, in whatever business facet we have. And that seems to have transcended uh, with our people that, you know what, it's not necessarily about the work environment. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help me in my personal life and my family environment also. How do you, you specifically, relay that to the, to the team? Well, I'm a fairly vocal guy. We, we have a lot of discipline in our, in our process, and, and Dave's seen some of that, whether it's our QHSC scorecard, which, by the way, also is out there looking at leading indicators uh, across the quality and HSC. We, we lump that together. Every Monday morning, we have an ops call, and I'm on that call. And the first things out of my mouth are safety. And, and, and of course, now with the COVID, we're, we're, talking, we're talking about that. And, uh, you know, for instance, the ops meeting yesterday, it was all about some of our new well site procedures and both our product lines having to do with COVID. Because we've had, we've been knock on wood, we've been very uh, safe and COVID free up to this point. But we've had a couple cases where third parties had come on a well site or maybe one of our individuals wasn't feeling well and, and didn't properly go through the check sheet that we have going to a well site or to an office and ha having that updated daily. And by talking about this with our folks and let them, let them know that, you know, these are difficult times, these are unprecedented times, but look, you know, pay attention to driving. It's our biggest risk. I mean, I, I know I sound like a broken record to the group every week, but they know I care. They know I'm concerned. We talk about it. I review every incident or accident in our organization, even a, a, a cut finger, to try to understand what the employee was thinking or one of, one of our family members was thinking when they had the accident and to relay that on to other folks because an incident or accident, no matter how severe, is a, a detriment to your organization. It causes you to kind of step back a couple steps rather than move forward. And trying to understand that's important. So. They know I'm going to be on there. I want the individual that had the incident on there. We talk about it. It's not a, a beat up process. It's all about understanding and how to get better day in and day out. Now, if someone breaks policy and does things like that, we deal with it in, in whatever way we need to deal with. But I find that very refreshing for me to not only talk to the individuals, but also understand what they were thinking right. when the incident happened. You know, you and I uh, are, are on the board of, uh, well, actually, David is, as well. The three of us are on the advisory board for PISA, Petroleum Equipment Services Association. Yes, and I, you know, you're a longtime oil and gas guy. This is your career. You love it. 
And you're as you're talking about that, I I wonder what you know Wayne did 25 years ago, and the change in the industry with regard to safety is an easy one to identify. Like I remember going to the first meeting, I think it was at FMC, and we have our safety meeting, and the guy says before we start safety meeting, which is fine. That moment happened, but those weren't that didn't happen 20 years ago. So that's maybe a 10 year old deal, and he says here's what happened to me over the weekend that I feel could maybe help you. And I remember thinking, what is, what is this guy telling me as he slipped in his garage? And I'll be damned if I didn't wa- see some water in my garage later. And I was like, I'm going to clean that up because I don't want to slip. And it's just amazing when you kind of create that culture of safety, how it permeates not only through your industry, but you know, not every employee or family member stays with you forever. They go somewhere else or they go home. And I'm, and it's just amazing how, you know, David and I talk about in, which is really the, the, reason we have this podcast is to talk about the stories of oil and gas that are leading the world and not just from, you know, energy, but from safety level. So I'm just, I'm curious to know how did your career evolve, not necessarily from a safety, but what are some of the things you've seen over the last, if you want to go 30, 40 years or 20 years that you're like, that is a great change. I can't believe it took us this long to do because the safety aspect of it to me has been a big deal. It's it's a huge deal, and it's all about keeping folks uh, safe. And you know, I've been doing this for thirty nine years, and I can tell you, when I was a young field engineer for Schlumberger, and I think that was indoctrinated at the time. I mean, we dealt with uh, radiation, we dealt with explosives. You know, you're a twenty one year old kid. That's what I was managing my crew out on a truck. I mean, I was like, my gosh, they're going to give me this (laughs) this kind of uh, authority. And and that was the beautiful thing about that model was that you managed and you either sank or swim early. But I mean, I remember being on locations in Abilene, Texas, where the, the, the oil company folks had no safety procedures at all. And folks are running around in ball caps on this lease barefoot, uh, much less steel toes. And we're fixing to, you know, rig up perforating guns. And I'm thinking, and my guys are looking at me there and they're full fledged and they're like, well, you know, doesn't look like they're taking safety uh, very serious here. And, and my comment was, look, it doesn't matter. We're here to protect us. Be careful of these folks. We can't control everything, right? But you still, and I think that was indoctrinated in, into me at an early age. Now, I, I'm, I come from the same lineage. It's not like we had tailgate meetings and JSAs and all these things going on. We may have done it in different ways. But it was a bit of the Wild West back then in those days. And, and, and I thank Schlumberger for their rigor in ensuring that if you did things the proper way, you were going to be safe. And that's always kind of set with me in my mind, you know, and, and dealing with some hazardous materials. I always felt that, that Schlumberger in those cases had my back because they had the policies and procedures. Now, where people get in trouble is when they think they can circumvent those things. And uh, I'll give you a little story. I was managing the Northern Rockies up out of uh, Casper. And I go up on a well site up in Cody, Wyoming, doing some work for uh, Marathon up there. And in the the wireline world, you have this thing called a tie-down chain. And it's long. It's burdensome. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to move around. It's heavy. But it ties the bottom shiv wheel to the wellhead or, or something around there so you can run the wire up and into the hole with an upper shiv and a lower shiv. Well, that tie-down chain was pretty important. As a matter of fact, you, you, you stressed it, you tested it on a biannual basis. It had a little tag on it on its pull capabilities. I go up on a well side, and one of the hands had cut it. It cut it in half. And I was appalled 
And I, I go up to the guy and I said, what did you do? He goes, well, uh, due to this well site configuration, that long chain is just very, it's, it's, it's a burden. So I cut it in half and I'm like, oh my gosh, you can't cut the chain because now the chain is, doesn't have its uh, integrity that it used to have. And unfortunately, the guy was fired. That's another story. But, you know, there were just certain things you did and certain things you didn't do. And, and I think where we get in trouble in this business, and it's, it's great to have, I encourage my folks all the time, if you have a better way to do this, let's do it. But let's not change the policy and procedure without going through some sort of rigor or some sort of discussion to do that. And, you know, the field folks come up with the best solutions anyway. And, and I'm very proud that we, we promote a lot of that in our company. But you just can't go off as right. and, and doing your own thing because you're going to put some people in harm's way. If that chain would have failed, that shiv wheel comes running down to the logging truck, it'll go right through the window. I mean, then you've got a quite a fiasco. Hopefully it's only in a the fiasco. Hole. Only the, hopefully yeah. that's the only fiasco. Right. So it's things like that that have kind of made a, a difference to me. And, and another is, unfortunately, in my early career, I had to go out on a well up near Mentone where a competitor had fired a perforating gun on the surface. And I can remember it as if it was yesterday. Now, they had cleaned up a lot of stuff, but that'll, that'll pucker you up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, following procedures, you know, there's a lot of safeguards What, what today. year was that? Oh, my gosh, Josh, you're going to date Well, I, I do want to date it just because I want to see how impactful it really was. Um, we're talking. It was back in the 80s. So you're 30-something years ago. Yeah. It still has that much impact. I can remember it. It was it was the eeriest feeling. There were some fatalities. Mm. It was a small company. Someone took a shortcut mm. and didn't ground or, or excuse me, uh, didn't have the safety switch in their pocket and put a live head on a gun. And we were asked to go out there and finish the job. But uh, I'll never forget that. And that made such an impact to me. I mean, so much that and, and, and not that because of me, but we have this RP67 training for explosives with all our supervisors and field folks. Our guys report every week, particularly if you have new folks coming in and out, if those standards have been met and our people have uh, continually been trained in the proper procedures to arm a gun and, and, and to shoot a well. So, and those things have happened, uh, thank goodness, in a minimal pace in my career, but it, it's a wake-up call yeah. for sure. So, Wayne, thank you for sharing that with us. I think, I think one of the things we talked about earlier is how all that manifests itself into efficiency and ultimately what creates a profitable and sustainable organization that focus on people, the rigor and, and, um, in process and procedure. Talk to us a little bit about that. How do you, how do you see that tying into efficiency and, and profitability that focus on people and training and, and awareness? No, great, great question. That's a, a lot of stuff, but let me try to dissect it a bit. It's all about efficiency, the game today. And, and I can talk about our, our trailer systems on the water side, and there's an element of efficiency there, but I think it propagates itself a bit more when, when you're out there on a pad and you're, and you're performing plug and perf operations on seven wells on a pad or eight wells on a pad or four wells on a pad. It's, it's more of a factory approach. We built our wireline business uh, uh, on the guise of efficiency. As a matter of fact, when you look at our packages that are out there today, and we're very proud of where we've gone, it was all about our zip system, our zip fire system, which is a perforating gun, our, our zip lock system, which is the rig lock systems that are out there. 
all about efficiency. As a matter of fact, our moniker in the early days was uh, it's it's about maximizing pumping time. And you all have heard that before. And, you know, when you're in the wireline business and, and you're working hand in hand with a frack company, you got to kind of say, it's not about me. It's about the frack iron. It's about keeping those folks efficient because you can do all you can on the wireline side. And if you have one misrun, you, you kind of mess up the rhythm of that completion on a, on a pad. We've been very successful, and I can tell you here today that we feel that we bring an extra 20% stages completed in a per day period. That's huge. It's the difference between potentially at times breaking even, losing a little money versus making a little profit. It's, it's that prevalent. So, you know, for instance, in some basins, if you're doing four stages a day, you're not doing very good. You're not very efficient. You need to be at six, eight, 10 stages a day. And if you can get up there in those areas, then you're going to make some, make some coin, make, make some profit. Well, how can you be 20%? That is a pretty big number. What's the, what's the difference maker on that? You mentioned service earlier. Is the, that the difference maker is minimizing misruns. The difference maker is the time between when you exit the well and go back in the well. And we have these, uh, Ziploc systems uh, that allow us to save probably 20 minutes between trip into the well and, and to control the well uh, via this uh, hydraulic automated system that, that allows us to, to open the wellhead after we bleed the pressure and move the new gun system to the next well in a very efficient manner and not putting a person in harm's way okay. in doing that. So that, that's been a big step for us. And we just kind of built on that, and and as there was a um, as there was a challenge uh, to get more and more efficient, our folks came up with better ways to 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 do it, a better mousetrap, a better device, a better tool, and and that has uh, led us to where we're at today. And I'm I'm, I'm happy to say that we probably uh, complete around twenty percent of the stages in the U.S. today. But that's a function of what we were talking about earlier, making sure that your folks are well-trained, competent, and aware of what they're doing. Because if they're not, they can't create that that efficiency that you were just talking about. Absolutely. And we have a training center here in Pearland. That's where our real-time operations center's at. I want to talk about that a little bit. That's uh, very exciting for us. But we bring the crews in. I mean, there's a wellhead. They rig up. They rig down. They don't go in the the well as such. But uh, they get very familiar with the equipment and operating equipment. And, and, and the other thing is the teamwork. I mean, I, I attribute a lot of what we do to, to, cause I like sports to sports teams and, and having the rhythm and being able to work with your colleagues where you kind of anticipate, uh, their involvement, your involvement. And, and that's what it's about. You have to have a weld oil team out there to be able to perform these operations day in and day out in a consistent manner. And I think that's where we've been able to to add a lot of value is that consistency. I mean, our new gun system that we'll talk about later uh, that's internal, uh, we've doubled our runs between failure uh, with this plug-and-play system to eliminate, you know, electrical connections, eliminate other items, and that's added an element of efficiency. You're talking about 150 runs per misrun going to 300 runs per misrun. That's a step change in the business. And with a, a system that is more plug and play, so it it requires human interface, obviously, but less and less human interface. And 
And that's where this business is going. Yeah. It's it's all about getting more efficient. You know, I, I think personally that $40 oil is here to stay for a while. I don't see anything driving it. So the stress on the oil and gas companies is going to be even more tremendous. And we can sit back and and say, well, you know, we're getting hammered as a service industry, but I'd rather look at it the other way. How can we do what we do today in a more efficient way? How can we automate the operations out in the field? How can we utilize uh, our remote operations in a more effective way to help the operator? Because the hurdle rates are going to get tougher and tougher. So tie that into the discussion of ESG, which you and I talked about being a lot of just common sense and something that you run to the bullets on. I mean, I think that's that's pretty interesting statement that you made in terms of what's going to lead to GR Energy Services viability and sustainability, that mindset of there's a problem, there's a solution. We create that solution with well-trained people, good culture. Talk to us about that. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're right back to the show. Prang & Associates, the global energy search leader. Prang & Associates is the world's leading executive search firm totally dedicated to the energy industry. Over our 39 years, we have assisted more than 750 management teams and boards in 75 countries and conducted nearly 3,600 engagements. For more information, please visit prang.com. Daniel Energy Partners, in-basin research you can trust a leading provider of U.S. oil field research known for its original boots-on-the-ground research approach, as well as its famous barbecue events. Daniel Energy Partners utilizes both its extensive network of top oil field professionals and frequent in-basin field tours to provide real-time market intelligence. Visit DanielEP.com for more information. Galtway Marketing. Answer this question. What makes your company different? You have seven seconds to catch a customer's attention. Galtway Marketing can build your brand and craft your message for maximum impact across all your marketing efforts. Visit galtwaymarketing.com slash 0360 to bring your company into the 21st century. Thank you to our sponsors. And now back to the show. Yeah, ESG, uh, you know, there's a lot of dialogue around that. And, and for rightly so, you know, Dave and I were talking earlier. I, I think ESG is... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to see it in the format it's in now. You know, we've been doing a lot of uh, the, 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 the areas and, and executing on the areas of ESG for many years. Uh, and, and, and I think it's a, it's a responsibility for the sustainability of a company. And I'm glad to see it in a, in a more cohesive format rather than us as independent companies taking a stab at what we think the critical items are. There still needs to be some additional commonality to it. But when you look at where kind of HSE indicators were years ago and how we've come to more of a common language, I think that's going to happen more with ESG. I mean, it, it's it's a lot of common sense. Folks that look the other way need to kind of yeah not look the other way because it's real. It's important. They won't have a uh, place. Well, your stakeholders demand it, right. and and your people uh, demand it. I mean, you deserve at, it. They deserve right. it. You look at the environmental side. You know, we want to operate in, in in the best way. We we've gone to a uh, a greaseless cable. You know, over the years, some of our competitors have the same thing where we don't have to pump grease to hold a pressure seal out on location. I mean, that's a huge uh, benefit of not having grease and and other items all around your location that you have to clean up. 
everything so much as idling equipment on location. You know, it's a common thing in the oil patch. You get out on the well and you're doing stuff. You got that truck out there idling, particularly AC if it's 90, yeah. 95 degrees out. Um, we also have a, a, a perforating trailer out there, you know, on, on the completion side. So what we try to do is minimize that footprint and, 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 and take a vehicle out of the equation at times. And, and we're able to do that as we have these systems out there that will call for less and less human interaction. We're working on some some other exciting things that'll that'll help us even more do more with less and have less of an impact on the uh, on the social side of things. Uh, you know, very important. You know, you talk about culture. Our culture is is being involved in the community, and that's just one aspect of it, of ensuring that uh, we're doing all we can to uh, to assist. Those that operate in our community, be it whether it's charities or other organizations, I mean, I'm very proud of what Jeff Wilhelm and the group has done in uh, Midland with the uh, uh, through PISA with the backpacks of the the school materials for for kids. Jeff's out one of in your Midland. guys. Jeff Wilhelm was one of my guys right. in Midland, and he's taken the lead through a bunch of other companies in PISA to provide backpacks full of school supplies for kids that would not have anything. I mean that's that's making a difference in in and and I know all of us have been involved in Spindle Top and and other things here in the Houston area, but that social aspect it's 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 very important for for our people to understand that the company's going to be involved in the community. It's all about that. Well, Jeff was I was on that initial West Texas steering committee. He has been not just a participant; he's been a real leader out there. So that's that is a testament to your teammates in uh, West Texas and what they're trying to do. So. I want to I want to turn it just to just a hair. You said something a minute ago. We've baseball's been back for three days, and you said that uh, you're a big sports guy. And is there a coach, or I'm assuming you're a football guy? You're one of your favorite sports. You're a big donor to the uh, West Virginia University football mm -hmm. team. And is is there a a coach though that you've looked at, read, met, admired that has influenced anything you've done, how you try to lead, or maybe a coach that you had early on? Yeah, I, I think I think. All the coaches that I've had the opportunity to interact, even as a, a youngster, you know, they, they affect you in different way, ways. And, and I'm a big believer in, in what sports and being involved in teamwork and that, how that sets the basis for what you do in life. There's a lot of learnings there. I think one of my, my favorite guys that I spend time with that, that's quite a character that, that uh, maybe he has a persona that, that people uh, don't really understand is is Coach Bob Huggins, who's the basketball coach at West Virginia. As good-hearted as as can be, uh, as the day is long, and the the lessons from him. He's similar age to me. We can relate to a lot of things. We've seen a lot of things, and but but there's many across the. He's the, a winner. He's a winner. Uh, he's a guy that that demands uh, discipline, uh, practice, all those things. Yet, and he's tough, but his players come back. They come back. He's been a father figure to, to most of them. And that's probably one of the most impressive things. I'm sitting there one day talking to him at the practice facility, and there's Javon Carter over there, you know, all Big 12 defensive uh, player of the year for two years playing with Phoenix now. And he's over there shooting, shooting hoops and comes over and tells stories for 30 minutes to 45 minutes. I mean, it's stuff like that that it's all about the life experiences. But, uh, and, and those are guys that Bob was, Coach Huggins was, was tough on. but. And so I use a lot of the coach analogy in, in our work environment because it's, it's very analogous, uh, the teamwork, 
the uh, the fact that you have to depend on your colleagues to get the job done in the most effective way, and then the whole life's lessons of winning and losing, you know, and you want to win all the time. I'm I'm one of the most competitive people I know, I guess, mm -hmm. but but you also uh, understand that you're not going to win all the time, and how you can take what happens in a loss and turn it into an opportunity. You, That's you, important. You had a 23-year run at Schlum? <clears throat> 25. 25, excuse me. You know, that's a great, that's a long time at one company, especially it's a career run at a company like that. But then you go off to be an entrepreneur. Did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur the entire time or did it hit you at your 24 and a half? You said, this is what I want to go do. I don't know that I've known that I've wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I think I've had an entrepreneurial bug. And, and Schlumberger was a great career, but I was getting to the point where I, I just wanted to do something different. And I tell you, it's tough to leave a company after 25 years. But uh, my chairman, my business partner, Peter Good, who's been with me for forever, we work together in Schlumberger, and he's a guy that I trust enormously. We've had great success outside of Schlumberger. And he's probably the only one that could have gotten me away from Schlumberger. It was one of the toughest decisions I ever made because it's a wonderful company. And and I had the opportunity to to even enhance my career even more, but something was kind of missing with me. Now I can tell you, I was I was I was worried. I was puckered up when you leave that that infrastructure right. of safety and you're out there, and all of a sudden, you know, in the private equity world, you do a lot you do a lot on your own. I had a chance in Slumberger where I was at some advanced levels in the organization. You got people doing stuff for you all the time. But when you, when you go out in a private, you, you know, you got to learn how to do stuff. President and the janitor. Well, yeah. that's just the way it is. And for whatever reason that appealed to me at the time was to kind of get more back to the basics and, and really kind of build something and, and put your arms around it. You know, you get companies that get so large, it's hard to, for me personally, it was hard for me to get my arms around anything. Even though I was in a position and a level of influence, it's it's more than just that. It's it's what can you do with pulling together a group of folks and building a service organization to impact the business? I remember uh, I was giving a presentation at, at one of my private equities uh, uh, partners' annual meeting. And this is before we started Global, which was the ESP uh, business. And I'm up there and I'm a couple hundred people up in New York, and I'm talking about this. And I had an investor come up to me later, and he said, young man, uh, I listened to what you had to say, and, you know, that all sounds fine, but uh, how are you going to build an ESP business against all the big boys that are out there, big guys, big gals, right, the big companies, the Slumberjays, the bakers? Uh, how are you going to do that? And I said, well, sir, one well at a time. Well, I think he thought I was a bit of a smartass because uh, it didn't, I mean, he didn't like that answer, but I really meant it that way, one well at a time, because, you know, I mean, we'd all like to solve world hunger, but the enormity of that is difficult. But if you do it one person at a time, you can you can kind of get there. Well, so we had a successful run with the ESP business, sold to Halliburton, and I was presenting again at another conference, the same guy. And he was kind of mean to me initially, but he came up to me and says, young man. And I was waiting for him. I could see him when I was presenting, you know, he was eyeing me and he was stalking me, you know. And he said, I got to tell you, he said, I want to tell you, he said, I, I apologize if I was a little rough to you earlier. You did a hell of a job and you made us some nice money. And uh, 
you did it one well at a time. <laughs> nice. And, and that, that's cool. He remembered that. He remembered that. And we're, we're buddies to this day. You know, I'll see him occasionally for lunch and we get together. He's still an investor in the, in my partner's portfolio, but that always impacted me. I was scared to death. I mean, this dude was like a long-term investment guy and I'm like, oh my gosh, he, you know, he's not drinking the Kool-Aid, right? I mean, and, but, uh, I have to give him a lot of kudos because he came back later and said, uh, you did a hell of a job, young man. And it wasn't me. It was the people, sure. but we, but we did it. We did a good job. Well, one of the things I wanted to talk about what I know to be one of your passions, even though you, you stated earlier, you've lived in Texas longer than you have West Virginia. You've done a lot for not only the state of West Virginia, but West Virginia University. What what compels you to do that? Why do you do that? Yeah, I, I was asked that the other day, but thank you, Dave. I, you know, West Virginia is a. I love Texas, and uh, I, I got here as quick as I as quick as I could, and I've lived all over and had a wonderful. But Texans are tough to beat. West Virginians are, you know, uh, my one grandfather. Well, both my grandfathers worked in the mines, but one ended up being a blacksmith for Union Carbide for forty years after the mines. He was an immigrant. My other grandpa Richards worked in the mines his whole career, and. And, uh, you know, West Virginia is, uh, you know, one of those areas that unfortunately is, you know, it's kind of like they were the last state in the country to get a COVID case. Well, you know, my deal was, well, no one really goes in or no one goes out, you know, and <laughs> West Virginia is one of those places where kind of the economics of up and down in our economy never really affect it. The people are wonderful people, 1.8 million people in the state. The university is a flagship university. I'm on the foundation board. Kathy and I had the ability to give back. It was very important that we, we did that. Not only did we do that in athletics, which we're very proud of, but also uh, through the engineering school and being involved in that to help students, uh, help professors through their journey. And uh, I think it's one of those things that, you know, as a West Virginian, when you grow up with the stereotypes and such, you have a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. And uh, for me, it was... Uh, and, and Kathy, it was very important that we could do all we could to, to kind of give back and help and every little bit helps. So we, that's been a, it's a very proud thing for us to be able to do that. There's like 1.8 million people in West Virginia. In the whole state. That is yeah. just a shocking number when you think about Houston. When you think about the Houston surrounding area, yeah. what, 7 million people, four to 7 million people, depending on how, how big the circle is. Uh, and it's very rural and some could say it's very backward. I mean, you know, it's, you know, I think of the, you know, you think about coal mining and you think about the petroleum business, you know, natural gas business is doing fine up there now. They've got a legacy kind of natural gas business, turn of the century stuff and, and a little bit of oil. You know, a lot of folks think that business is very low tech, much like they think our petroleum business is very low tech. Going out today and performing completions, uh, you know, uh, 30 zones, uh, uh, you know, 10 to 12 guns per zone on these wells with high pressure and ensuring that all the operations uh, go according to plan and, and some of the stuff we're doing with remote operations, it's a tough job. You know, in my, in my career at Slumberger, I was doing something different every day, uh, whether it was open hole logging or when I went to the completion front, one minute I'm, 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 I'm perforating a 25,000 foot well. The next minute, I'm uh, running the production logs on a 5,000-foot well. In this environment today, you have to be very good at what you're good at doing, and, and you have to do it over and over again. And that repetition presents a bit of a challenge, but the technology side of this is phenomenal. Taking a wire line down and 
going a mile and a half in a well and, and trying to control everything, uh, pumping down the gun, for goodness sakes, right? Ensuring that you don't pump off, making sure everything goes right. It's a very complex operation, and I equate a lot to a coal mine. I worked, while I was in school, I had to work uh, uh, underground while I was, uh, I didn't have money to pay for schooling. And I worked 800 feet down and 1,500 uh, feet back in this mountain. And the technology going on on this long wall section was phenomenal. If you ask just the general person on the street about technology and the oil and gas business or even the mining business, they probably think it's pretty low tech. I mean, dirty, low tech and all that. And it's far from it. And we have to do a better job and continue to do a better job of bringing in the talent that we're going to need, the smart thinking young folks that we're going to need to carry this industry because it's only going to get more complex. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on it because this just shows how naive I am, but 800 feet down, 1,500 feet back. And I'm sure that was 30-something years ago. I think ago. it was about a mile and a half back. I that is I'm, unbelievable. Well, you can't think about it. I can tell you that. You have to not, right? I mean, Well, it, it's a bit eerie if you think about it. And I remember both my grandfathers at the time, my, my dad passed when I was young, um, but both my grandfathers at the time who I was very close with, they're like, what are you doing? I mean, you're going to school to do this. And yet, um, when I hired on with Schlumberger, I remember my mother coming out and my stepfather coming out to Midland. And who's Schlumberger? Yeah. Well, they're like, and, and it was Schlumberger, South of I 10. And it was midnight. And the phone rings in this little apartment we had in Midland. My mother's up moving around, you know, and this phone rings. And I, well, I'm going on a job. And she's like, uh, well, Wayne, where are you going? And I said, well, Mom, I'm going on a job. I'll, I'll see you in a couple of days. A couple of days. They were there a week. I never saw them again. And Kathy did a great job entertaining them. And she goes, you went to college to do this? And she grew up in a mining area, so she kind of understood. But it was like, right, it's just, it's just different. Yeah. So you just got to kind of go with the flow. Well, and you, the, the other thing you said was it's going to take a different type of I don't, leader is well leader, but worker coming into the oil field to take us. In. What do you see the people that are coming in now? What skill sets are they? Are you looking for that's important? Do you what do you think is the most important skill set really to take the oil and gas industry where it needs to go? Well, I, that's a great question, and and probably a lot of skill sets. But you know, I, I think you need more of a a well rounded thinker these days. I think maybe in the past we've all had kind of our technical backgrounds. The ability to pull all that together to look at the big picture as to what's going on is going to become even more important. Our remote operations today, I remember uh, four or five years ago, my, my wireline president, Billy Anthony, coming to me and said, Wayne, we need to instrument all our trucks. I'm like, we're doing case toll, for goodness sakes, Billy. Why would we need to do that? And, and, and by the way, I left Slumberjay in 06. They were instrumented stuff 10 years ago. We need, You know, that's not high tech. Well, we found out that Yes, stuff was instrumented, but not being used and mainly on the open hole side. So we're the only, I think, probably the only company out there. All our trucks are fully instrumented. And in fact, uh, we have a real-time ops center that I'm just, I, I go nuts over. We bring customers in. We can sit there. We can. Is this the one in parallel? It's the one in parallel. We can actually send the data to the, uh, to the customers also. But we can sit there and watch the whole pump-down operation. And in fact, we're field testing some software now where we coordinate the pump down with the uh, running the guns in the hole and all that information's on an iPad. So the company person doesn't even have to come in our, our truck anymore. 
they can sit and, and particularly in these days, David, with social right. distancing and all those things being important, they can sit in their pickup or company trailer, whatever it might be, and monitor our operations without even coming in the recorder cab real time. And we've got that in field test on probably about five or six uh, completions going on now. And, and, and the company people are going nuts. That's the future of this business. And that's pretty high tech. You've got pump rates. You've got the, the wire line going in the hole. You, you have the full spectrum of the zones you're going to shoot all on one screen. And it is so cool. You, uh, you, you know, 39 years in the business. You've had a lot of impact on a lot of people. I don't look that old, do I, Josh? No, you look like an athlete. You want a donut? No, no, no. no Because I've got a bunch. I'm going to eat them on my way out of here. So um, we're all athletes. Let's be honest. Uh, I'm just happy they closed my gym during coronavirus. That way I don't have a reason for not going. But who who has had the biggest impact on you in these 39 years in in your career? There was a guy that, and a lot of folks know him, God rest his soul, a guy by the name of Tom Atkins. And he was a field guy with Slumberger. Ended up through all the years and all, ended up working close to 50 years with Slumberger. Wow. And he was a field guy. And uh, if you go out to West Texas, everybody knows Tom Atkins. He knew everyone. And he took me under his he took me under his wing. I don't know what it was, but he took me under his wing when I was a young pup out there and really showed me the ropes. And I worked my butt off too, but he showed me the ropes and really how to be effective, how to get to know people. I was always a bit outgoing, but he kind of put a little different twist on it. And, you know, he was one of those guys that would come to your district and if he saw a pulling unit out there, he'd say, well, whose pulling unit is that and what are they doing? And you better know, and you better not BS him because he'd run out there and find out, you know, that kind of guy. So, but he was just so marvelous in many different ways. Not only was he a mentor and uh, to me, but he was a friend and he was a close friend. And unfortunately he died a few years ago, but um, he probably had the largest influence in me. I spent a lot of time in West Texas yeah. um, over my career and uh, I loved him to death. And uh, he, uh, and, and I know he affected a lot of, a lot of colleagues and other friends of mine in similar ways, but maybe a little different, but he, he comes to mind, but there's a myriad of, of folks, even today. I mean, and, and, you know, I'm sitting there as, as the leader of the organization, but I'm continually amazed at how smart people are and our people are and, and the innovation they come up to. You know, one of the things that drives us today with our product development and, and all is, is, is innovation. And, uh, you might say, well, you've got a product development kind of budget and things. Yeah. And, and the reason we're doing that is to, you know, we developed our gun system. We're developing some other enablers in the field to help us automate that, that, uh, performance. We're doing the same on the trailer side. Uh, all those trailers are instrumented. So my technicians don't even have to go to the well site and monitor the trailer. And you can imagine the efficiency that goes along with that, uh, when you've got a, you know, a 800 horse uh, motor driving a, a big pump barrel out out there in the field, moving water to get all that information uh, real time uh, saves a lot of mileage, saves a lot of windshield time with our people going back and forth. You know, there's just a lot of influence today, and we have our, our monthly product development meetings. I, I just can't wait to sit in them because I'm I'm looking for, you know, what our engineers have come up with next, and and whether it's uh, changing a perforating uh, uh, charge design 
we can do those things and turn them around to the customer in two or three days. And uh, whereas all of a sudden they're changing their perforating design on a well that's maybe up in a week. That's the stuff that we can kind of move quicker on and, and, and innovate that I think our customers appreciate. And I know I appreciate. All right. You, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to, uh, I, I was going to turn it over to David there if he wanted anything, but I listened to this on, you, you talk about the mentors that you had. I do remember meeting you a decade ago. It was, it was an intimidating situation. I can't, Charles Curry. How were, did I intimidate you? Josh? I mean, listen, cause you're one, I mean, he can be a little intimidating. Oh, come well, on. and look, I am, I'm a very I mean, he's young, kind of a big deal too. He's a I big mean, deal. Yeah. I was a young guy. I'm young today at this very moment. I was even younger 10 years ago. So it was just, it was like, up your boots. <laughs> it, but you know, I just remember Charles Curry. That's one of your, I, who's, I love Charles. He's a great guy. He is great. Very funny. So you, you were very um, disarming to the, to the moment. It was very easy to talk with you guys at that time. And I, I'm, it's, it feels like you have a very, you were quite impressive at the time. I remember you were very impressive. I, at the, at the, at the now time. keep going. Yeah. This is, <laughs> stay on that thread for a minute. So, you know, my, my point is I feel like you've opened up a pretty easy conversation internally for your team. And, and as such, how are you empowering your next generation to move forward? Because we are at a crux in our industry. It is changing. There is, you called it unprecedented early. That's the word that gets used the most. But ultimately, this is a different industry going forward for us all. How are you encouraging your guys to bring new ideas forward? Well, I think you have to have an atmosphere of that. And you have to, you have to act on it. And it's very tough to do, particularly when you are in times where you're doing a lot of belt tightening and, you know, the nice to do things. Uh, are, you, you just can't do them. I mean, you know, in the service business, it's great that that it's all about a people business. The downside of it is when you get into a down cycle, you have to cut people. And that's that's been sad for us. Now, the good part is we've been able to bring a lot of those folks that were furloughed, uh, bringing them back. Right. You have to have an atmosphere where you're open to ideas, you're open to change, you're open to doing things a bit different. And like I said, it's tough to do in these times, but if you enable that throughout your culture, you'll find that that folks will, will will you know really rise to the top. My role today, and okay, maybe some of my fact guys and gals would maybe argue a bit, but I'm more of a mentor in in what I do today in my job, and I like that. I like to coach and counsel. Uh, you can't be around this business for 39 years and not pick up some things and learn some things. And, and, and maybe the conversation is, is more of, hey, have you thought about this or have you thought about that? I find myself enjoying that role. Now, sometimes I have to, maybe the old me comes out a little bit more than, than necessary, but uh, I mean that in a, in, a, in a nice way. But I can get fairly fired up and passionate about what we do, and, and it is passion. And, you know, unfortunately, some folks may kind of take it personal, but it's not meant that way. Right. The beautiful thing about the business we're in, and we're in a phenomenal business, is the people and all the people I've met over the years. It's, you know, you say that and you say that, but I believe it. And, uh, and, and yeah, occasionally you run across, uh, you run across, I'll I tell you a story. I was, I was transferred to Casper. And, you know, growing up in West Virginia, you have cold weather, but nothing like <laughs> Wyoming weather. And uh, I was transferred to Casper. Well, it was a fiasco going on, and it was a slumberjay. And I went up there and I flew up and, it was cold and I had a, I went from Monahan's. I had a winter jacket, but nothing like what I needed. <laughs> West Texas winter is different. Yeah. And so 
we were having a bit of a fiasco out on this well site perforating. And for whatever reason, it was for Unical, I'll never forget. And it was 24-hour ops, which was odd in those days. Nowadays, they're pretty common. And I get up there, and um, the company man's hot. I get out there on this location. I mean, I checked in the hotel, and uh, I can't remember the hotel in downtown Casper. I checked in. I could feel the cold and wind coming through the windows and stuff in this hotel room. It was that cold. So I get out there. And this guy just starts chewing on me, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like freezing. I'm like, what am I going to do? I don't want to be rude and not listen to this guy. But I mean, he is tearing a piece in me. You, you know? start shaking. No. And I looked at him and said, excuse me, what do you want? You know, I'm trying to get a word in edgewise. And I said, sir, I, I've never been in this kind of cold before. I am freezing. Can we kind of go in and continue this in a different environment, like inside? Well, that seemed to break the ice, and we got inside into his trailer house, and he stopped chewing on me, and we became good buddies. We took care of the situation, and uh, so, you know, you never know uh, how you can turn those things into opportunity. I know I'm diverting a little bit from oh, the yeah. subject, but at the end of the day, um, it's I don't people. know. It's, it's a people It's, game. it's people, yeah. and it's going to continue to be a people business. One of the things we always like to ask our-, well, our well, hang on, because I'll let you finish up with it, because that is the best question to answer on, and I'll let yeah. you go back to that. but. One last thing, you've you've mentioned this a couple times in the pre pre show, and I I think you know the kind of career you've had, the success, the travel, the work, the kids in three separate cities. You're not alone. You you have a partner. You have a wife that has been uh, attached to you for 38 years as well. How what kind of partner has that been for you in the support? Because when you say I'm gone for a week, and your mother's like where where to go, I'm sure that you had to field some of those questions throughout that that run. She's been phenomenal. I mean, we've been married, Kathy, we've been married 38 years. There's no way. I mean, she raised the girls, literally. I was gone most of the time. And uh, uh, I remember probably the one that was a little bit dicey is uh, when Amy was born in Wyoming, Casper, Wyoming, and Kathy's folks flew in from West Virginia via Salt Lake. And I picked them up in Casper and took them to the hospital. It was uh, April, April 4th. It was snowing. And... I dropped them off and the president of Slumberger at the time flew in like four hours later and picked me up on a plane and I was gone for like 10 days. And the fact that her mother was there was, was perfect because if that wouldn't have been the case, uh, uh, it would have probably been, been a lot of, lot of trouble, but she's been, she's been very understanding. She, like I said, she's raised the kids. She's pretty tough yeah. and uh, done a great job with all three girls and, it wouldn't have happened without her. You know that mother-in-law is going, now, now where did he go for 10 days? It's <laughs> brand new newborn here. Well, yeah, so that's a great story. I got a lot of stories, but some of them probably can't repeat. But We'll turn the, the, we'll field, we'll the, turn the mics off in a minute. Stories. It's yeah. about adventures. That's well, a beautiful thing. One of the ideas that we have on this thing is we want to have a, because uh, we can change a voice and have like the, uh, the oil field stories anonymous. And we think that'd be hilarious. We would certainly lose all of our sponsorships, but uh, it would be fun to tell some of those stories for sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, definitely some stories and we always enjoy hearing them from you, Wayne. We'd like to probably close it out. Not that I wouldn't want to sit here and all day and talk to you, but because I always enjoy talking to you, visiting with you. But if there was any advice you could give to an aspiring entrepreneur or even a fellow company executive, uh, somebody in your shoes. What What would you tell yourself a 20 year old or 20 year ago, or actually 30 year ago, uh, year old 
Wayne, like what kind of advice have you learned that you think that's a pearl of wisdom that you'd like to pass on? Yeah, and I think it's very relevant in, in, in today's society in terms of, you know, the millennials and all, because everyone, I've seen it with my daughters, everyone wants to put a little time in and then, you know, be the, be the person, right? Be in charge. And I think, I think the main thing is, uh, you know, understand yourself, understand what, what makes you tick and what drives you. Be passionate about what you do. Uh, stay focused. I think a lot of times we uh, we have the tendency to not stay focused. And I, I can tell you in, in the entrepreneurial world, staying focused is pretty important. If you don't, they'll get you back focused pretty quickly. And um, And you can do anything you want in this business. Get to know as many folks as you can. Get to understand the experiences. Understand where your passions are. And, and, and what makes you, because, you know, you have to be happy at what you're doing. And I look back on my career and there's many a times when I'm on that, was on that 10th or 11th job in a row doing wireline where you're sitting there and you're saying, and the dispatcher calls you and you hadn't had but a few hours sleep. And you're like, I, I don't know why I'm doing this. I always said I must've quit 10 times, but came to the realization that I wasn't going to quit anything. And, um, so you 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 have to like what you do and have to be passionate with what you do and and no matter what and I think that's important that's the advice I've given given my girls and then be a bit patient be a bit patient and finally be an example for people in the office you know understand your values walk the walk the talk as such which is very important uh you know, no matter what job you're in, you have to be credible. You have to, you have to operate with the, with the utmost focus on ethics and integrity. Um, you know, unfortunately I've had to, to get rid of some people over the years that, that didn't really see it that way. And, um, you know, all you have is who you are and what you stand by. And if you lose that in whatever fashion and you compromise and lose that, then you've lost a lot. So those are kind of the main, I know that's a, a big bag of tricks, but those are kind of the main things that I, I give advice on. And um, um, hopefully uh, some folks uh, take that and, and can do something good with it. You'll be blown away by how many people hear this uh, podcast and, and talk to you about it. And that's something that I know really surprised David and I when, yeah. when we got into this. But, you know, when you say that you, hopefully people will take that, what, you take for granted in like that 10, that golf game 10 years ago was it led to this in many ways, wow. this, this meeting, right? I mean, our, our relationship yeah, evolved sure. and, but there's a lot of people that won't get uh, a chance 18 holes with you. And there's a lot of people that won't get a, a 45 minute lunch with you um, that they're going to hear something that you have no idea they're going to pick up on and take with him in their career. And honestly, this is part of the legacy. This is part of the story. Uh, the caring. I mean, I didn't hear David. I'm sure you can agree with this. I didn't hear anything in your entire podcast here that wasn't all about passion and caring of people. And like, that's what this industry really is about. So, but one of the things we do at the very end is we give our guys a, uh, a plug. Is there any website that people that you should, cause you mentioned one of the, my notes here was uh, come down to your real time uh, data center. I'm assuming that's something you guys want to show off. You bet, and 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 now even more uh, uh, prevalent with the social distancing and all is uh, 
is the utilization of uh, our our real time ops center and and so forth. So that's been important for us. We didn't realize, of course, we'd be in this situation here today. But you're going to see us do more on uh, on on remote operations and. Uh, as we continue to how would they travel through this. Go ahead. How would they get in you touch? You can go to our website. Uh, Which w- is? That's the common answer, isn't it? Go to the website. But it's www.grenergyservices.com. Okay. And you'll see, uh, you know, kind of uh, our offerings and what we're all about and our focus areas, our operations points. Uh, you know, we were up to about 800 and some folks. We're substantially less than that today, but building it back. Uh, but a really passionate group of, of folks wanting to uh, to get on your well site, and uh, whether it's a completion side or on the water management side or the lift side, and show you what we can do. And uh, I, I'll, I'll have to say you're going to get a level of service that maybe you hadn't seen before. I'll tell you what we do. When we launch this, we'll get a link to some pictures of the real-time data center oh, wow. where people can cool. go below and, and take a look at it. Cause I think they'll enjoy. I want to go see it actually too because you have to come see it. It is amazing when timing meets preparation is opportunity. And yeah, you didn't know you were going to be uh, doing as much social distancing, but it's we didn't work understand out. that aspect. But what we did understand is that there's going to be less and less folks. You know, whether it's the big crew change, whatever it might be, less. Let's just put it this way: the operation in the field has to change, and and we have to be drivers of that change. I'm not talking about doing anything irresponsible, but we have to uh, deliver the same level of service in a different way. And the model's got to change. Uh, you know, this model of up, down, sideways, uh, folks think, and, and that's okay that we're like a, a, a firehouse, right? Anytime you can call, we jump down the pole and here we are ready to go. Well, the level of the personnel requirements today on some of these 24-hour operations, the regulations and such, we have to do a much better job of planning and, and, you know, in this environment where even the EMP companies are not sure what they're going to be doing, it's, it's added another level of complexity The you know, the cycles are now within the quarter. Yeah. You may have one month out of the three in the quarter that you're like, how in the heck did that happen? But you know, it's, yeah. it's a product of, it's a product of where we're at today. So uh, I think, you know, we have to, understand, do a better job, get closer to our customers, um, and, and try to change the way we deliver service in, in a responsible fashion. That's what we're all about. And, and I'm excited about the innovation in our company because it, it's blown me away where right. we're at today and where we're going. Appreciate you coming on, taking the time to do it. <clears throat> it's certainly uh, been fun watching you guys uh, operate your business and grow your business and navigate in these interesting times. And Wish you all the best and and uh, hope to get you back on here again yeah. sometime soon. So. Thank you, David. Enjoyed it, Josh. Thank you very much. My pl- I have to say, I was I was great at nine in the morning. This is no problem for me at all. We can. I think Clay starts tomorrow <laughs> at eight. So I was I was Better setting bed I was setting David up well on that one. But listen again, Mr. Richards. Thank you for your time very much. Uh, that'll wrap us up at the uh, Oilfield 360 podcast. Uh, in the Fletcher Azul Tequila Studio, Houston, Texas. If you have any questions, we're going to have some links below to uh, to the Real Time Data Center. As always, co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Garode, thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. This episode of the Oil Field 360 podcast was brought to you by the following companies. EIV Capital, a growth equity-focused private equity firm 
which has been providing capital to the North American energy industry since 2009, the team has extensive experience across the entire energy value chain. We invite you to visit EIVcapital.com and learn how we partner with entrepreneurs to build businesses. Merit Advisors, crafting holistic tax solutions to improve your cash flow and add profit back to your bottom line. When it comes to state and local taxes, Merit is the expert in the oil and gas industry. Visit MeritAdvisor.com. World Oil. For more than 103 years, World Oil has provided global decision makers with coverage of the latest market intelligence and technological advances relating to the upstream oil and gas industry. To subscribe and learn more about these essential resources, please visit worldoil.com slash subscribe. Thank you to our sponsors. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, SimmonsPSC.com, Lockton Global Energy and Marine, Lockton.com, Tomahawk Safety, TomahawkSafety.com, Prang and Associates, Prang.com, Daniel Energy Partners, DanielEP.com, EIV Capital, EIVCapital.com, Galtway Marketing, GaltwayMarketing.com, Range Valuation Services, rangevaluationservices.com Merit Advisors meritadvisor.com World Oil worldoil.com Fletcher Azul Tequila fletcherazultequila.com For more information on today's guest and to learn more about our sponsors please follow us on LinkedIn Instagram or at oilfield360.com Piper Sandler Companies, NYSC PIPR, is a leading investment bank and institutional securities firm driven to help clients realize the power of partnership. Securities brokerage and investment banking services are offered in the U.S. through Piper Sandler & Company, member SIPC and FINRA, in Europe through Piper Sandler Limited, authorized and regulated by the Securities and Futures Commission. Asset management products and services are offered through four separate investment advisory affiliates, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC-registered Piper Sandler Investment Management, LLC, PJC Capital Partners, LLC, and Piper Sandler and & Company, and Guernsey-based Parallel General Partners Limited, authorized and regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Simmons Energy, a division of Piper Sandler, are the energy specialists of Piper Sandler.